Let's pray. We love you, Lord. Where would we be without you? Thank you for reaching into our lives and forgiving us because of the cross of Calvary. Thank you, Lord, that in spite of our struggle and weakness, you have loved us with such an everlasting love. You have desired us to fellowship with you, not only to spend this life with you, but all of eternity with you. That's an amazing gift. And so, God, we ask you to speak to our hearts and lives today. Help us to understand um, what you call us to. Uh, give us a boldness in our walk with you and boldness in our relationship with those who still have not found you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was November 1979. Seems like a long time ago now, but uh, I remember it because it was less than a month since I had moved from youth ministry in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, and um, become pastor at Bethel Church in Owatonna, Minnesota. And I walked into the restaurant early for a meeting with a chairman of the church, sat down in the booth, took up a menu, and uh, looked up as the waitress said to me, can I give you coffee? Sure, I said. And uh, as I looked into her eyes, I said to myself, there is one hurting lady, vulnerable, needy, seductive almost, if I'd chosen to read it that way. Maybe you've looked into people's eyes and that outward smile says everything's okay, but the look in the eyes says it's not going well at all. I don't know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. When's the next shoe going to drop? Life is hard. Her name was Brenda. And across months and years, Brenda would serve me coffee and we would talk and kid and chat. And it was just a lot of fun in that restaurant, but there was always that deep pain in her eyes. And one day, maybe 12 years later, Brenda said, Pastor Steve, maybe I'll come talk to you someday this week. My family is just a mess. My son got arrested for possession the other night. And my mom is on my case, and my ex is blaming me because I've had my own pot problem. I, I need to talk, and you're the only one in my life I know knows God. Can you help me? And I said, but Brenda, didn't you tell me that your mom goes to that Baptist church out there in the edge of town? I'm just pastor of a neighboring Baptist church. Isn't that where you grew up and went to Sunday school? And she said, yeah, mom and that self-righteous crowd always have a Bible verse to put me down. And those folks have got to clean up their own back porch before they'll have anything to say to me. But can we talk? And that week, I prayed with Brenda as she gave her life to the Lord. We got her started into a 12-step program, and she began the journey of putting life back together, this time with Jesus. And on my last Sunday as pastor of Bethel Church, Brenda was the last one to leave our farewell party. And as she hugged me close, she said, Steve, you've been the only real pastor I've known, and I can't imagine where I'd be if God hadn't brought you into my life. 
People need Jesus. People need Jesus. He's the only solution to a guilt-ridden conscience. He's the only answer for a confused life and for one needing healing. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is God's only answer for a transformed existence and to give us eternal life. Last Sunday, I shared with you that the church in America is in serious trouble. We saw the statistics that paint a grim picture. 80% of Americans do not attend church at all anymore. And of the 20% who do, only half, 10%, are those you would call committed believers who care about sharing their faith. 4,000 churches die every year, and only 400 new churches are born. The church's influence as a moral compass for society has been diminishing and diminishing across time. And yet people are spiritually curious like never before. According to Barna's research, 69% of Americans believe in God whom they describe as the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect creator of the universe who rules the world today, but most have no connection to him and are not interested in any connection with the church. You know what that means? That means that typically uh, the church is not the place where people will come to satisfy their spiritual hunger or to look for spiritual solutions. If you were here last Sunday, you heard us talk about how God is a missional God, God who is not waiting for people to come to him in a temple or a tabernacle or a synagogue or a church. He's always been reaching and actively extending himself as he's always done to love and rescue lost people into a dynamic relationship with himself. He's a missional, on-mission God. He came to earth in Jesus, and then Jesus sent his Spirit into the lives of believers, into us, and the Spirit sends and propels believers out into the world to be the hands and the feet and the voice and the love of Jesus among the lost. So how do we join God? Not in being an attractional church, because that's not working anymore. And actually, it's not the way Jesus did it. But can we recapture the passion of God, the passion of Jesus, the passion of the apostles who took the gospel outside of the religious institutions, took it to the streets, took it on the road to love people into relationship with the Lord? God is an on-mission God. Can the church become a missional church? Here's Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9. Turn there in your Bibles, if you would, please. But listen to the heart and the passion of the Apostle Paul. Verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, 
I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Last Sunday I gave you four principles of missional living. All P's. Proximity, nearness. Like Jesus, we need intentional relationships with those who don't yet know the Lord. Presence. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, we are the aroma, the fragrance of Christ among those who are lost and among those who are found, called to be the presence of Jesus and love them as he loves them and grace them like he would grace them. Powerlessness. And that was all about loving them and ministering to them in their pain. When life breaks them down, as life always does, we offer ourselves and we pray with them that God's goodness would touch their lives. Proclamation. And that means tell them your story. Tell them your story of how Jesus has rescued and reached and helped you and saved you. We're all of us a mess without Jesus. All of us. Your testimony is so powerful. Not about how wonderful or religious you are, You're not the hero of your life. God is. So tell them about how you've been rescued from the mess you would make or the mess you have made of your life. Now, I've got one more missional principle today, principle of missional living, and I want to share with you. It's not a piece, so I guess it requires a a separate sermon. And be careful now, this one is controversial, maybe even a little bit shocking, and it's way uncomfortable. This one will stretch you, especially if you've been raised in an evangelical Christian home like I was. To effectively win lost people to Jesus, it requires that we become like them to love them. Jesus, God's own Son, came into our world and became like us to love us. Like us to love us. And in loving us and giving himself for us, he rescued us. Now, I've got to tell you that this text in 1 Corinthians 9, when you really start drilling down to it, is just shocking. It's radical. Paul says, though I am free, I have freedom I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, slavery is not something we encounter much in the 21st century, at least in Western society. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It does in the Muslim world. It does when children and women are trafficked for sexual abuse. But even with that, we know very little about slavery In the first century, if you got yourself into debt and couldn't pay your bills, it happened in desperation as an absolute last resort that you could sell yourself into slavery to pay your debt. Or if your creditor couldn't get his money out of you, he could sell you as a slave. And you would lose your identity and lose your freedom. Your whole life and existence was owned by another person to do with you whatever they wanted. So this is just shocking language. Paul says, I'm a free man, but I voluntarily 
choose to make myself a slave to the needs of people who need Jesus. And it's a principle that Paul lives by. Why? Because that's the principle that brought Jesus to this earth, the principle that Jesus lived by. King of kings, master of all, he laid aside his privilege and came to become like us to love us. And Paul reorients his life to that amazing loving agenda of Jesus. And I want to challenge you to a big challenge today. What would it mean in your relationships to really love people who don't yet know Jesus? In, in what ways would you need to be like them to love them? One of the pastors in my Owatonna church came to the board with a request that we would allow him to add to his responsibilities becoming the fitness guru in the gym of one of the major employers in town. Why? So he could build outside the church relationships and it was a way he could like them, he could be like them to love them. I am so impressed with how you've released and encouraged Pastor Dave in his coaching in this community. Why does he do that? Because it's a way to be like them, to love them. There were a couple of guys in my Owatonna church who started a Bible study in a bar. What? Bible study in a bar? Yep. And I encouraged them when they told me that God had laid this on their heart, caused a little bit of controversy. But that's where the guys they loved hung out. And they were there with those guys to help them find Jesus. Who are the people you're trying to love? Who are the people God has burdened your heart to reach? And what would you be willing to do what would you be willing to sacrifice so that like Jesus, you could reach into their world and love them into relationship with God? What would you be willing to do to identify with your friends? Oh, wonder how serious Paul was about this? Oh, look at Romans 9.3 where he says, I wish I myself were cut off from Christ if my Jewish brothers could find the Lord. How willing are you to readjust your life, to connect and identify with where your lost friends are? Jesus left glory. Philippians 2, he emptied himself of his rights and privileges as God to come and enter our world. He took on humanity and became fully human like us. And Paul, grabbing hold of that principle with a passion to be like Jesus, says, I have so fully oriented my life around the needs of others that I am intentionally, voluntarily a slave to people's need for Christ. How tough was that? How radical was that? Well, remember who Paul was? 
Before Paul, he was Saul. What kind of a guy was Saul? He was a Pharisee, one of the leading Pharisees. He was one of those who was so uptight and rigid about Jewish law that he believed he had a commission from God to throw Christians in jail because they weren't doing the law. He hated Gentiles. Saul hated anyone who didn't or couldn't keep the law the way his group said it needed to be kept. And yet God rescued him in the dust of the road to Damascus, rescued him from his legalism and pride, showed him that it's not by being religious that makes anybody right before God. It's not by being good that anyone could be saved. We couldn't be good enough. Our only hope is to place our faith in the one who can save us and trust in God's gift. For by grace you are saved through faith. He will say in Ephesians 2, and even that is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast about how good they are. And it's that guy who says, I became like Gentiles to win Gentiles. I became weak to win the weak, like those who don't have the law to win those not having the law. Now understand, these are not just small adjustments for a guy who used to put people in prison for not following the law. These are not just trivial changes in his life. These are major life adjustments. And to the church in Paul's day, these were big deals. Those of you who are in Bible study fellowship are going are to run into this as you study through Acts. Remember how the church struggled? Do we eat kosher or don't we eat kosher? Do we make Gentile believers go through circumcision and become Jews first before they can become Christians? Shouldn't we require that of them? Can Jews really have fellowship? Can they sit down and eat with non-Jews? Can they even be in the same church? Do we have to have Jewish churches and Gentile churches? Do we insist on the Sabbath, Saturday worship, or can we worship some other day like Sunday? There were church fights over those questions. Church councils were called to decide those matters. This is not just dressing in a business suit to reach businessmen. This is not just learning a different language to win Chinese people to Jesus. This is not just wearing Jinko pants and DC shoes to reach skateboarders. This is not dressing in skinny jeans and majoring in social media to reach millennials. It's way more than buying a Harley to reach bikers or getting a tattoo to reach young adults. This was about theology for them. And this was about associating with people who have the opposite lifestyle of a Christian lifestyle. Was Paul risking too much? Wasn't that risky? It was really risky. Could he be misunderstood? Yes, easily. Was he criticized? You bet he was. Sisters and brothers in Christ really struggled with how loose Paul looked. 
not with sin. Paul knew that you never bring people to Jesus by sinning with them, but he put big issues on the back burner to love people into relationship with Jesus, the one who rescues and changes people. Again, like Jesus, was Jesus misunderstood? Constantly. Was he criticized by the good church folks of his day? Regularly. Jesus was accused of endorsing prostitution because he hung out with those people. He was called a glutton and a drunkard because they were his friends. He was accused of greed because he hung out with people who lived that way. He identified himself with their pain. He never sinned with them, but Jesus, was he misunderstood? Absolutely. Paul, you're in pretty good company, I guess, being criticized like Jesus. You're in good company risking criticism like Jesus risked criticism. Jesus' followers, Jesus' followers strive to be like Jesus. And they risk it like Jesus. They risk being misunderstood in order that people might experience God's love. We talked last Sunday about how we live in a post-Christian world. It's sad how the church has lost its voice and church people are sidelined as irrelevant and hateful. Did you know that one of the reasons people of the world write off church people like us is that church people don't act like Jesus? Do you know how we're viewed by the world around us? A few years ago, David Kinnaman wrote a book titled Unchristian. The subtitle is What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity. And he surveyed non-church people to find out what they think about us, Christians. Kinnaman concluded that they judge us by our own standards. And in a lot of ways, we come up short. He says they see us in basically six categories. They see us as hypocritical, overly focused on evangelism, anti-homosexual, overly political, sheltered and isolated in our own little groups, and judgmental. And the common thread through all of those, whether they are true about us or false stereotypes, the common thread is a lack of authentic, demonstrable love. And we will never crush those stereotypes. We will never win the right to be heard if we stay distant from the lost, if we stay safely isolated in our Christian ghettos. 
And here's what Paul, I think, would say to us. If you're going to be misunderstood, I'd rather you were misunderstood on the side of love. And our love for them will never be understood and Jesus will never be found if we stay disconnected from people who need the Lord. So here's my question for you this morning. Who has God laid on your heart? Who are the people in your set of relationships who need Jesus? Take your sermon note sheet and turn it over, will you please? On the back of your sermon outline sheet is a little chart. I wish I knew where I got this. This is great. It's really a helpful way to think about who among the people we rub shoulders with regularly, who of them needs Jesus? Of course, there's family. I bet almost everyone here has a family member who needs the Lord. Fraternity, that's just a fancy word for clubs, community organizations. Friends, neighbors and school friends, fun, people you do sports with or share a hobby with, factory or firm, that's your workplace. And so what I'd like for you to do this morning is to just take a few moments in quietness and do some charting. Who is there in your life who needs Jesus? Ask the Lord to make you sensitive to who there is. And then as God shows you, write their name down and begin to pray for them. And as you pray, begin to dream of ways you can begin to build a relationship that God will use as a bridge for his love. Will you do that? Let's take a few moments to just do some charting, shall we? I'd really encourage you to take that chart with you. Um, and uh, sometime today or later this week, to put your eyes back upon it again and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Who has God started you thinking about and wondering about and praying for? Who is it God wants you to learn about and maybe learn from and to find a way to connect with them, to win them to him? Maybe some of you are feeling called in a way that feels awfully risky right now. Um, I think God calls us to step out and risk. Here's the challenge. One of the reasons that people of our world don't think we care is because we're in here where it's safe to be a Christian rather than out there where it's harder. The church for some of us is where we hide out from life when life is hard and painful. But God never promised us safe. He never guaranteed comfy to people who call themselves Jesus followers. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for causing across our mind to flash the faces of people who we know who need you. We have such a long way to go to become effective as your witnesses in this difficult, hard, challenging world and in the lives of people who, who really are broken up by, really because they don't know you. Help us. Lead us. Take us where you want us to be. Use us for the cause of Christ and in the lives of these you love who aren't home yet. We pray it in Jesus' name.